Yeah, you always miss all your old friends, you know, it's something where I have a long relationship with the guys in the band and where we all still talk and we're friendly. The main thing that I wanted to do was open up my creative circumstances to where I could do other things also, you know, whether it was play with different musicians or make different types of records, you know, where you, you don't have to be just one particular thing in one particular circumstance you know i think that was a freedom that i've looked for at this point in my career and that i want to have and you know i'm in the process of pursuing it but the guys have come out and played during the tour max came out and played and gary came out and played and danny came out and played and, and i talked to clarence quite a bit on the phone see what he's up to so you know we're all hanging in the world Hey there, I'm Lee McCormick. Welcome to Tramps Like Us, a Bruce Springsteen podcast, episode 136, Human Touch, album review, part one. Welcome to the first of four episodes focusing on Springsteen's ninth and tenth albums, both released on the same day back in 1992, Human Touch and Lucky Town. Thanks as always for listening and downloading the show from the website TrampsLikeUsPod.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you found the show. Stay in touch with us at our Facebook group page, Tramps Like Us, a Bruce Springsteen podcast. Singer-songwriter and friend David Newbold joins me for this episode and the following three to discuss Human Touch and Lucky Town, two polarizing albums in Springsteen's catalog. We're going to provide some background on the albums, our general thoughts, and then break them both down song by song. Let's kick the series off with a live version of Human Touch from Chicago, Illinois, January 19th, 2016. This is with the legendary E Street Band on the second night of their 2016 River Tour. You and me, we were pretenders. We let it all slip away. In the end, what you don't surrender, the world just strips away. Ain't no kindness in the face of strangers Ain't gonna find no miracles here You can wait on your blessings, my dog I got a deal for you right here I ain't looking for prayers of pity I ain't come around searching for a crush I just want someone to talk to And a little Just a little of that human touch Ain't no mercy on the streets of this town Ain't no bread from heavenly skies Ain't nobody drawing wine from his blood It's just you and me tonight Tell me in a world without pity Pity for a 
Basically, what it what it's about is 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 about you know you know growing up and realizing you know what it's, what a life with consequences is about. I think when you when you're a kid, you have this dream. Oh boy, I want to play guitar, whatever it might be. You know? And the way you imagine it, of course, what you're what you're really imagining is sort of uh, a life without complication. Uh, hey, dealing with Life with consequences, you know, not kind of letting it uh, keep you from moving on down the road, you know, keep you from going forward. You know, a lot of stuff on, the, on these records is sort of like, hey, trying to figure out what is it, what is grown up, you know, what's it mean to be a man right now, what is, uh, and certainly a lot of the stuff on these two records, you know, they're kind of about characters who are all coming to terms with, with those issues, you know, with those things. You know, what's it mean? What does it mean to be a husband? What's it mean to be a father? What's it mean to be a friend to somebody? Uh, you know, when you finally kind of get a good look at the world as it is, you know, how do you, how do you not give in to cynicism, not give in to despair, uh, just because you can't afford to, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, basically it's all the characters are all just trying to find their place, you know, where do they fit? Where do we fit in the world?
Hey, Dave. How you doing, man? Hey, man. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining the podcast to uh, break down and uh, give a little review of, uh, I guess, the last couple of records for me to review for this podcast. I think I've done every one except for these last two, Human Touch and Lucky Town. Well, I guess I didn't do uh, I didn't do High Hopes. Remember that one that okay. came out uh, about five, six years ago with all the, or maybe ten years ago, with all the uh, yeah kind of outtakes and alternate stuff? Would you consider that a, a like an official studio album, I guess, eh? Yeah. Because I, I, they're, I, re- they're I would. I, new recordings, right? There's like some old recordings, but there's new recordings mixed in there. So It's kind of weird. He packaged it as a as like a new album, but then made it very publicized that it was mostly old recordings so almost more like a mini sort of outtakes album but it didn't look like that it yeah. was kind of weird the way that was presented but um it was like there was yeah. no new songs written for it but he right. took a couple of old recordings and like souped them up like Tom Morello did some overdubs and stuff like that so uh yeah, maybe it's a real right. album. I'll probably have to get into that. But <laughs> but today we're going to do <laughs> Human Touch and Lucky Town. And, uh, you know, they were on the bottom of my list to do for this album review thing. There's some good stuff on it, right? <laughs> there's, some good, there's some good songwriting on it. I have some mixed emotions and some mixed feelings about some of the stuff in, in that era of Springsteen in general. They're kind of fascinating albums to me uh, just because they're such a, I don't know, they stick out like such a sore thumb in a, in an artist like his catalog, but not even not saying they're bad. Cause I don't think they're bad at all. A lot of them. I, I like quite a bit, but, um, you know, it's definitely the first time where he's, he's sort of trying to find a new songwriting and performing and sort of voice, you know, it's like he's yeah. reached a serious sandbar in his life in the ocean of life. And, uh, and, uh, you can tell he doesn't, doesn't quite know what to do with it, but it, you know, interesting stuff comes out of it. And with an artist as great as him, I think it's kind of cool listening back, you know, now with the perspective of his career and how it's gone since, and you know, its spot in the career. It's kind of neat hearing this sort of kind of weird diversion where he wasn't quite sure what to do, and the sounds, of course, are like of a specific time, and you know, it's it's they're 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 so interesting but it's not surprising at all that they're the kind of the last ones uh you know you're tackling because most of his releases feel so seminal right and these are kind of seminal in a little different way yeah it's cool when artists have that those periods in their in their career a couple of albums that are just like what's that yeah because i mean you know it's easy to talk about born to run or something you know it's like every song's great. Which song's the most great? What's the greatest part of the coolest part of the songs? Yeah, yeah. You know, like what's to say other than general agreeance that, you know, it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, but things like this are much more, in, maybe more interesting in a way to talk about anyway. Yeah, and I got to say, as usual, you know, when I do these kind of album reviews for the podcast and I dig mm-hmm. in deep and I kind of really d- take it all apart and put it back together, I come away with a new appreciation for the material. Like, you know, like we did that Ghost of Tom Joad review mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. So the same thing happened with this review. I, I kind of have a new appreciation or understanding, at least, for these uh, yeah. these records, right? So uh, so let's yeah. get into it. I guess we got to go back and kind of look at the period when he's writing, when he's recording these records, right? Human Touch, Lucky Town, they both came out on the same day, right? They were mm-hmm. both released March 31st, 1992, similar to the way uh, Guns N' Roses did that Use Your Illusion mm-hmm. thing a couple years earlier. Or mm-hmm. maybe a year earlier, 91, I think that was, where they released two records on the same day. I think this is maybe the only other time an artist has released 
two distinct separate albums on the same day, right? That was uh, March 31st, 1992. So when we look at the state of the boss, state of E Street, like late 80s, early 90s, right? Big changes in his life here, right? He's just done the Amnesty International Tour, uh, fall of 88, right? Uh, just after the Tunnel of Love Tour. He's divorcing Julianne Phillips in March of 89, mm-hmm. Right, big move here. He moves from New Jersey to Malibu, California, with Patty, mm-hmm. uh, starting a new life. There is his folks are out there, so he's he's said that long goodbye to New Jersey. Right now, he's out there in California. Right, right? his first son yeah. Evan is born in July '90. Right, he marries Patty uh, in June '91, the year after, uh, and then uh, you know six months later in December '91, Jessica's first daughter is born. So you know Springsteen's mm-hmm. a family man now. Like within a couple of years. Right, he's got a, he's mm-hmm. divorced. He's moved away from his hometown. He's got a new, uh, new wife and two new kids. Right, living in <laughs> right living in California. Like he's taking these motorcycle trips down the coast. Right, going to Arizona. He's got a new yeah. group of friends. Yeah, right. New group of L.A. friends. Yeah, yeah. All the old buddies from the Jersey Shore are gone. Right, he's got these new motorcycle motorcycle buddies from the coast and stuff. Right, <laughs> right. 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 This new life revealed that I was more than a song, a story, a night. An idea, a pose, a truth, a shadow, a lie, a moment, a question, an answer, a restless figment of my own and others' imagination. Work is work, but life is life, and life trumps art, always. Mr. Trouble, come walking this way, yeah, gone past, feels like one long day. But I'm alive And I'm feeling all right Well, I run that hard road At a heartbreak city In a roadside carnival Of hurt and self-pity It was all wrong Well, now I'm moving on Ain't no church bell ringing, ain't no flags unfurled. Just me, you, and the love we're bringing into the real world. Into the real world. He takes a couple of years off. He takes like 89, 90 pretty much off mm-hmm. to start this new life. He gets back into music in like 91. You know, Roy moved out to California as well, Roy Bitten. And that was kind of his only connection to the uh, to New Jersey and E Street kind of thing, right? So Roy is working on some demos here. So Roy has these songs that he's kind of written called uh, Rule of the Dice, Real World, right? He, he shows them to Springsteen. Springsteen digs it and he kind of wants to do something with it he kind of adds his mix to it these turned out to be kind of the first co-written songs from springsteen i think he didn't have he just had the music right and bruce he didn't have yeah, any lyrics no lyrics but like or, or maybe had, had these yeah. parts the, the music right springsteen has the lyrics right that's inspiring him to write some more songs right he's kind of going in a new direction musically he wants to try some different genres right mm-hmm. i guess he's decided that he's gonna he's not gonna work with the e street band now or he's made the call to the guys he said you know i'm moving on without you Right, there's right. a big part of that in the Born to Run book where he talks about like uh, breaking all ties with the East Street Band. And they weren't on good terms around then, right? Because he was looked at as the boss and the guy, you know, paying them all money and you know stuff like that, right? So it wasn't really a uh, an amicable split at that point. A lot had changed. The late '80s and early '90s had proved tumultuous, upending my life. I was working on new music, 
in a new land with a new love. At the moment, I had no driving theme or sure creative point of view thundering through my head. And after the Born in the USA, Tunnel of Love, and Amnesty tours, I felt a little burned out. I wasn't sure of where to take the band next, and in 89, I'd essentially placed them on hiatus. Over time, like all the guys, I developed my own set of underlying grievances. Some of the fellas making me a little too crazy, some feeling of a lack of appreciation, coupled with the burden of having life issues and baggage constantly dumped at my doorstep with a little too much frequency and too many expectations that I should make it all better. All of this, along with my creative uncertainty and artistic curiosity, finally turned me around the corner. We'd all lived on E Street for a long while. During that time, many good habits were formed, things that in the long run would keep us together. But there were also some bad habits that had taken hold. I felt I'd become not just a friend and an employer for some, but also banker and daddy. As usual, I created a good deal of our state of affairs myself by not providing clear boundaries and by creating an emotional structure where in exchange for the band's undying loyalty and exclusivity, I gave an unspoken and uncontracted promise to cover everyone's back in whatever befell them. Everyone, without concrete, written clarification, will define the terms of your relationship in accordance with their own financial, emotional, and psychological needs and desires, some realistic, some not. A lawsuit with some trusted employees that had turned into a rather long and nasty divorce case made me realize the importance of clarifying your and your band members' commitments in as reasonably undisputable a fashion as possible. That meant contracts, previously anathema to me. The Tunnel of Love tour was the first time I insisted on written contracts with the band. After all this time to some, I suppose, it suggested mistrust, but those contracts and their future counterparts protected our future together. They clarified beyond debate our past and present relationships with one another, and in clarity lies stability, longevity, respect, understanding, and confidence. Everyone knew where everyone else stood, what was given and what was asked. Once signed, those contracts left us free to just play. On the day I called each band member to explain that after years with the same lineup, I wanted to experiment with other musicians, and I'm sure it hurt, especially Clarence. But I was met to a man by the same response. The E Street Band is old school. We are filled with gentlemen, raucous, rousing, sometimes reckless rock and roll gentlemen, but gentlemen all. Everyone was generous, gracious, yes, disappointed, but open to what I was saying. They wished me well, and I did them the same. I left in search of my own life and some new creative direction.
Oh, I remember on uh, seeing on, uh, I guess, Much Music, an interview with Clarence Clemens around then, and I didn't know, uh, I didn't know too much of all the, you know, intricacies of the story. I just knew Clarence had previously, you know, been in Bruce's band, obviously, and yeah. and I remember them asking him about, you know, Clarence, he was uh, had his own. He was starting to put out his own record, so he was being interviewed, and they asked him about Bruce and what's like, and you could just see he was trying to put on a, a brave face about it, but you could just see in his eyes he was just so depressed about it, yeah. so sad. He was like, well, I, you know, I love Bruce, and anytime Bruce wants to play, you know, I'll always answer the call, and, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm working on this stuff, and it's cool, but you could, you could just see it. You could just see he was like a broken man without the band. For sure, times. it was sad. <laughs> like, I didn't know anything about him much at all at that time, but it's like... The poor guy. Yeah, and, and you know the the knife in the back with this too is he's he's still working with Patty. He's still working with Roy, right? David right. Sanchez is there. David's David's part of this music as well. So that's similar mm-hmm. to like you know Tom Petty, right? Like when Tom Petty would would do like non heartbreaker stuff, but he would still bring Mike Campbell along with him. It's kind mm-hmm. of a cop out, right? Like like I know Springsteen's not going solo per se. Like all of his records are basically solo records. He does what he wants, but. You know, like it was, you know, when Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, when he would make a solo album, he would bring Mike Campbell with him. Like, Still have Mike Campbell, yeah. Yeah, that's not really a solo album, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's the same thing. Springsteen's got this crutch. It's uh, interesting, though, that, um, I'll, real quick, that, um, like, I think it was in the Rolling Stone book that came out a few years ago, Songs or something, uh, where they go through all the songs. And, um, like, I had always assumed all these years that he brought Roy with him just because, you know, he, he just couldn't let go of the whole sound. And Roy's, the way he plays, is so integral. And he just, like, needed, like you say, a crutch. And then, yeah. But it was interesting to find out it wasn't really like that. Like, he fired Roy, too. He fired all of them. Yeah. And then it just so happened that Roy lived out there, I guess, and he showed him these songs. And they just kind of started working on them together. And then he brought him back in. And then, apparently, it was pretty awkward between Roy and, and the rest of them for a few years. because yeah. They were like, what the hell? <laughs> you know? Well, he brings him on tour too. Right. Yeah, so he, he hires Roy as like to play keys, a producer, and as a composer on the record. He starts to write more songs lyrically and thematically, continuing on themes from Tunnel of Love, right? The tension of uh, surrendering to love and accepting that fate. You know, as he's becoming a family man, stimulated by Roy's demos, that he starts to record uh, September '89 to March '91 is when he's kind of working on the Human Touch record. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's uh, he's got this garage studio that he's working working from. Uh, he's got like a primitive version of Pro Tools, which he's doing this record on a lot of digital stuff. Looking for new ways to do old things, right? New ways to write, record, new musicians, new themes, kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we look at the recording of this. He's trying some different electric guitars on the album. There's some Gibson Strats, uh, Gibson acoustic guitars. He's experimenting with different amps and sounds, but inevitably he goes back to the classic. Uh, uh, Telecaster sound, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Human Touch is the first record. Technically, you know, both records came out on the same day, but Human Touch is distinguished as his ninth record, maybe because it was recorded ahead of Lucky Town, mm-hmm. maybe because it comes alphabetically when those records were re- released. <laughs> Interesting. <Yeah. laughs> maybe. <yeah. laughs> but it's his ninth uh-huh. record, produced uh-huh. by Bruce, uh, John Landau, Chuck Plotkin, uh, Roy Bitton gets a producer credit here, engineered by Toby Scott, the usual crew, the mixed, same people, yeah. Yeah, mixed by Bob Clearmountain and mastered by a legendary Bob Ludwig. Mm-hmm. Right, you look at the cover of uh, of Human Touch. Bruce's, you see Bruce's forearm, his wrist. He's holding his Telecaster Esquire there, right? You see, he's got like right. a, a bracelet on, black jeans. He's got this cool like leather belt, <laughs> right? <And then laughs> yeah, big titles in red. Human Touch, Bruce Springsteen. 
Uh, the back of the record, you got Bruce's chest still holding, clutching that uh, Telecaster, and you see he's got like this cross net, net necklace on and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Photos by David Rose. <laughs> okay. General thoughts on the record. Do you remember buying it? Did you get it at that time when it came out, March 92? I certainly did not. Um, was not my bag at the time, although I was uh, at that point a fan of earlier Bruce. Uh, I'd have been in my late teens, I guess, then. Uh, so I was a fan of, you know, Born to Run and stuff like that. But no, they came out. And uh, so to me, I mean, I look at the early 90s music as possibly the worst sounding era in rock and roll's history. Yeah, I agree. Uh, at least, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I mean, there's times in the new millennium that have, maybe challenge it but that was you know you had like you know the 60s sounded the 50s great raw you know raw rockabilly rock and roll primitive 60s you know had all sorts of cool things going on breaking ground 70s they really perfected studio sounds and like everything from the 70s to me just sounds great 80s you know started out very inspired like especially when you look back on a lot of the 80s stuff that probably you and i probably weren't so into at the time because we're, you know, rockers, <laughs> but uh, look back on it, you know, it's, it's really interesting, really inspired, like really the first creative. Half, right? Yeah, the first half of the 80s is great. Like even the like yeah. the new wave stuff and yes. the synths, all the synth sounds were really cool yeah. back then. But then the, the, the last half of the 80s, it just went like really bad for somehow. Oh, yeah. It was like he took everything that was cool about, you know, psychedelic furs and Tears for Fears and all that and like just discarded the, the heart and soul of that. And you just had this empty soundscape of plastic, just lame sounds and then it comes into the 90s and then it's just getting worse and worse so i i have to feel that's the context in which john landau thought it was a a a good line to say that when the albums came out that they're actually quite pretty heavy guitar albums (laughs) because i don't know i guess compared to whitney houston albums they were you know of course nevermind comes out and pearl jam comes out around the same time and all of a sudden these albums immediately particularly human touch you know just sound so dated so these albums come out uh i'm not into it but i did like uh, the thing that i listened to of this album of these albums when they came out was remember they had the like probably around when they were released or shortly after he did a he did a, a radio simulcast from a secret location in LA uh, basically playing the songs live for the first time. Oh, I think it was New York. I think he played the bottom line in New York, and it was like the first time playing these new songs and debuting okay. the, the new live band and all that stuff. Yeah, and I remember I recorded that, and and I listened to that tape quite a bit, and it, you know it sounded it sounded good. And they did, uh, and I remember he did an acoustic version of Hungry Heart at the end, and and it was cool. And then he was on Saturday Night Live. And I remember, yeah, I remember him doing better days, and it, you know it was it was rocking and it was loud guitar and it was cool, uh, and then uh, but I never really uh, I never really dug into the albums back then at all, and and through all my years of uh, of uh, living with Bruce's music and going through all the things I've gone with it, I generally I have to say I, for the most part stayed away. I mean, I bought them on cassette used at some point, and I had them. I probably listened to them each one or two times tops. Like it just wasn't for me. Yeah. Like a lot of Bruce's music, I, I feel like we talked about this once before. You tend to you tend to sort of catch up to it when you get to the age that he was when he wrote those songs. I found this weird thing, which is pretty cool, of him, you know, like yeah. uh 
so I, I would say it was only, I think maybe five, six, seven years ago, I finally sort of dug into these, bought them on CD, started listening, and I was, I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised in a lot of ways. Um, partic- <laughs> particularly, I'm one of the rare people, it seems, who actually kind of prefers Human Touch to Lucky Town, because I was, I always sort of looked at it as sort of the worst probably of his albums and when i really dug into it i was like i don't know i kind of i didn't mind it i mean it's got we'll get into it there's definitely it's definitely flawed yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) to contrast that when i got the record i got it right on the day it was released right this is uh march 92 i was a huge fan at this point Mm -hmm. you know from born the usa going forward i was pretty much a huge fan buying everything he put out like on release day and this is mm-hmm. a, a great memory. I bought both of them on the day of release. Now, I was homesick from school at this point. I think I was 17, so I was probably grade 11 or grade 12. And I was homesick from school. I probably had a cold or the flu or something like that. You know, I dragged my sick ass out of the house, and I went to uh, HMV at the Pickering Town Center. And uh-huh. they, had a, they had a deal, right? On the day of release, they had like a two-for-one, right? You buy one CD, you get the other one for free. They did a similar mm-hmm. thing when the uh, Guns N' Roses released their Use Your Illusions, and <laughs> my buddy- I remember at, that. I cut school to go get them. Yeah, my buddy worked at the record store, and that was fucking insane, because he said people were, like, lined up, like, around the corner. Like, that's when people would, like, line up for record releases, right? <laughs> like, the night before. Oh, God, and, and that like was that. such a, like, drawn-out, hyped release. Yeah, and they, had, it was a, they had a thing, too, right? Buy, uh, buy one, get one free for the first day of release. So, uh, <laughs> but I showed up uh-huh. and there was like not, a, there was no one in the store. <laughs> it was like not, no lineup, like nothing going on, like uh-huh. a full rack of like hundreds of these human touch and lucky town CDs. Right. Oh, man. So, but it was a yeah. good deal, right? I bought two CDs for whatever it was like 1899 or something like that. CD prices in the early nineties. Took it home. First listen. I remember like feeling sick, you know, you got that sick haze and you're, you're mm-hmm. playing music. And I remember it was just so memorable and I loved it then. Right. Because you know, that cool. day I was so excited to get it, and I was yeah. uh, an easy audience that day for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it seems like with each subsequent listen, I, I, I've liked it less. <laughs> 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 right? Although, you know, in the last, you know, I don't know maybe like uh, 10 years or so like that, I have gained a new respect for some of this music. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not a favorite. You know, although the songwriting is solid, uh, I just don't like the production. Uh, you know, I just don't like the, the musicians on it, the sound of it. It's too slick, too many session musicians. It's got the, it's too much Los Angeles on the record, you know. We're going to get into like a track by track now. And I took a different approach to this, David, than what I usually do. Usually I'll just put the song, the record on and, you know, make notes as I go. This time I, I read the lyrics first, right? So I looked at his lyrics from that songs book he put out. Mm-hmm. And I read the lyrics like poetry almost and took some notes and then I went back and I listened to the music and then took some more notes. <laughs> some interesting things happened from that approach. <laughs> I'm glad you did that because getting ready for doing this today, I wanted to do a deep dive into a lot of the lyrics uh, myself. And I just could not find the time. And even just like in the last hour, I've been scrambling through the lyrics. I've yeah. been listening to the album in the car a lot, but um, or to the albums. But, uh, you know, a bit, but I... Yeah, but to me that speaks a little bit to the records themselves. Is that lyrically, um, you know, they're not like like I said. I mean, I feel like all his albums to this point, lyrically, he was definitely like I'm in a place. My lyrics hit my audience in a certain place, and this is probably the you know this is probably the first one where they didn't really. I don't feel like they did that in the same way, 
And so I'd always, all the times I've listened to this, I've never really, I've, nothing's, nothing's, you know, grabbed me by the gut and twisted and, you know, like, like they, like they have on their, his previous records and like they did again later in his career. I shouldn't say all the, you know, there's great, there's very good lyrics on the album, but I'm glad, I'm there's glad you great, did yeah. a little lyrical homework. Yeah. Yeah. There's always great cool. lines. And I was, I was really surprised by some of the, the stories and the characters and some of the messages that I, I missed all these years, just listening to the music and never really analyzing it like this. Right. So, uh, Mm-hmm. So let's kick it off, man. Let's pop the needle on side one. You know, originally I had the CD, so on that uh, sick yep. day in March 92, I dropped the CD in there and I pressed yep. play. And the first track was uh, the title track, Human Touch, which was recorded. Yep. All these songs were vaguely recorded between September 89 and March 91, all out mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. Musicians on this track were uh, Bruce uh, on vocals and guitars, Patty doing backup vocals, uh, Roy on keyboards, and we got Randy Jackson on bass and Jeff Bacaro on drums. You and me, we were the pretenders. We let it all slip away. In the end, what you don't surrender. Well, the world just strips away. Girl, ain't no kindness in the face of strangers. We ain't gonna find no miracles here. Well, you can wait on your blessings, Darling, I got a deal for you right here. I ain't looking for prayers of pity. I ain't coming around searching for a crush. I just want someone to talk to and a little of that human touch. Just a little of that human touch. This is a great song. I've always liked this song, even then at the time, not really being a fan of this era at the time. I always appreciated this song. Um, I, I love Picaro's drums on it. I love his drums. I really hate the concept of recording a demo of a song and then having a rhythm section come in afterwards and play under the demo. Like I just feel like everything should be built on drums and bass. And I think that's how he did both these albums. But somehow, it kind of works on some of the. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that on on a song like this. It really sounds like there's good interplay between everybody. Uh, lyrically, I like what he's what he's singing about. You know, he's. He, I, I like. I kind of like his songs where he's 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 sort of yearning for the, a woman and being close to this woman, but he doesn't. He, he always is sort of self-depreciating about it. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not all that. But you know, we've been through this and that. But really, what we need is some humanity, you know, and that that human touch thing. And so that's super cool. You know, great chords, cool sounds. I love, I love uh, in the guitar solo when it it kind of jumps keys for the solo, and then it kind of I always love when it comes back, back into the original key with that twangy lick he does and. And, in G, uh, I think it's in G, right? Yeah, it's in G, and I think they go G, up to C in the solo. Yeah, G, yeah. F, and C. So that's yeah. the progression, I think. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean, it's very similar structure to Ton of Love, the song, uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, similar, think, similar drum groove, too. Yeah. Um, but it's a cool song, and I and I like uh, I like Joe Cocker's version of this song, too. He did a great, great version of the song. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah, I think we played that on one of the earlier uh, Cover Me episodes where I play all the oh, covers. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's got a great version on that. 
Yeah, but it, oh, a great song, um, and um, yeah, kind of a no-brainer on this one for me anyway. I don't know, what about you? Yeah, this is a good one. This is a debut single. I think he was released on the same day as Better Days. I think he might have done that, like real, dropped two singles off both albums on the same day too. Kind of, this came out on March 21st, like a, like a week, ten days before the record came out. Went to number two in Canada, number 16 in the U.S., but yeah, striving to connect with someone, uh, making that emotional and physical connection, right? There's a lot of like emotional and physical connection that Bruce needs, kind of thing, right? <laughs> he's looking for love from a dark place here. He's talking about he's yeah. been broken and hurt. You know, I guess he's still reeling from that divorce still, right? You know, great singing by Springsteen on this. The vocals are great. Um, Jeff Picaro on drums. One of his last gigs, right? He died in 93, so this is probably one of his last uh, sessions. This album was one of his last set. Yes, that's true. Was it? Yeah, yep. yeah. I love the line where he goes, uh, you can't shut off the risk and pain without losing the love that remains. We're all riders on this train, right? Like everybody's on this train, like that uh, land of hope and dreams kind of vibe, right? Good yeah. and bad. Like everybody deals with this kind of stuff, right? You know, this one seems like it could be an E Street band song, right? They've done it live a bunch of times. They mm-hmm. sound great doing it. Like, you know, that's a running theme with, with a lot of these songs, right? It's like, uh, you know... You know, it sounds good, but imagine if the E Street Band did this. And a lot of times they've bettered it, in my opinion, uh, you know, live uh, in some of the, the past, you know, 20 years since they've uh, reunited after this record came out. Dig the breakdown, too, uh, where it kind of drops out there at the end with the little drum uh, break. Oh, yeah. And then there's a Fades. stop, and he goes like, hey, ah. now, and he goes, goes into that guitar part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> it speaks to the strength of this song, especially compared to most of the other songs is that you know i feel like the album like we'll get into it but i feel like in general this album it seems like a lot of stuff that was sort of written as single type material sort of radio-y songs like not too not too deep by bruce standards but just sort of pleasing to the ear and yet this is the one that he released it's a single which is you know the longest probably of all the songs and uh you know would have been awkward for radio at the time judging you know because of the length and all that but yeah, still right. it was kind of such a no-brainer strong song that you know they had to lead with it so that's why it was the title track too right yeah so this next song features uh, bruce on guitar and vocals we got another guitar player tim pierce adding some mm-hmm. guitar we have david sanchez on some organ randy jackson jeff picaro on drums and our bass and drums uh, we have michael fisher plays uh, some percussion sam moore on backing vocals soul mm-hmm. driver
So this one starts with these kind of weird synth, like pan flutes, kind of on the mm-hmm. intro. Like it almost reminds me of like some sort of fucking like Karate Kid, like training <laughs> montage kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's like. Yeah. It's like that's what it sounds like on this intro right, when the band kicks in. <laughs> yeah. But uh, some nice guitar work over uh, some minor chords here. Uh, the dude in the song, he wants to uh, protect and guide his lover, right? Gaining happiness with an emotional connection, right? There's that theme of emotional and physical connection mm-hmm. in this uh, in this record, right? He's, they're escaping the hard times, referred to as destruction, I think, right? Uh, this religious imagery, he's talking about he rode through uh, 40 nights of uh, Gospel's Rain, which is mm-hmm. from Genesis, I think. And then there's that line about uh, black sky pouring snakes, frogs, uh, love in vain, uh, kind of the e- e- Egypt Exodus thing where they're trying to get rid of the Jews out of uh, Egypt there. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a song that uh, he collaborated with uh, Roy a lot uh, on the, in- the early writing period here. Roy's influencing him uh, kind of like a rock reggae groove with uh, you know the drums and bass thing there. And uh, Kind of cool, we get two David Sanchez solos on the organ. Not just one, but we get two. <laughs> <laughs> and what can you say about Sam Moore adding that harmony vocal? Right? He sounds fabulous. He's awesome. He sounds great. He, he a couple of the songs he's on here, he could have been up in the mix. Yeah, um, he sings great on them. Um, yeah, this is a pretty cool song. I like the chords. Um, I always thought he could have worked a little harder on the phrase "soul driver." Like what? <laughs> that sort of seems uh, just kind of yeah, a little yeah, like weak as a like driver. Okay. Like you want to be like soul captain or soul guider. Soul guider, that doesn't. Yeah, soul navigator. Like he's the driver of the person's soul, is what he's. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. It's a little yeah. awkward to me. This isn't the story on this record, right? That he spent all this time working on it, and then towards the end, he basically just abandoned it, and then he and then he whipped off Lucky Town in about three weeks, and then it was up to the rest of the team to go back and sort of assemble this. Is that essentially it? Because I feel like a lot of the things on here seem just a little unfinished. And, th- and this is the very first moment in the album. It's only the second song where I, I start I start feeling that a little bit. Like, okay, we're in the second track of the Springsteen album. People have been waiting for it for a few years. You know, and, and already it's lacking a bit, but it is a cool song. I do like it. It's catchy. I like the chords. You know, I like, I like what he's singing about. There's always cool lines in his songs. So, you know, it's a pretty strong one. I dig it. We got a trio on this next song. We got Bruce on vocals and bass. We got Roy Bitten on keyboards, Jeff Bacaro on drums and percussion, 57 channels and nothing on. I bought a bourgeois house in the Hollywood Hills with a trunk load of hundred thousand dollar bills. Man came by to hook up my Cable TV, we settled in for the night, my baby and me. We switched round and round till half past dawn. There was 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. Bit of a polarizing track in the... uh in the Springsteen songbook, I, I know it's you know this song was everywhere at the time, and it got it got really old really quick. And uh, I always thought, uh, I feel like on the album, it's cool. You know, it's just just a short little thing. I mean, this was part of on tracks. There's all these other songs on the box set tracks. There's you know he this is part of the series of songs he has eight or nine of these songs where basically just him and a bass 
and some keyboards and mostly everything's him and uh this is the one that kind of he dug out of that and put on the record you know because it's it's got a chorus and a, and a thing and and it's cool uh I, I i thought it got a little too you know on the tour it turned into like this 10 minute piece and all these like pumped in sounds from war and everything and i thought he'd try to like make more out of the song than is actually there but it it is a cool song for what it is um the lyrics are really smart and funny you know there's some good turns of phrase and and uh and uh you know it it, it shouldn't be any longer than it is and um i don't know that's what i'd say about it yeah, this is the second single released uh, July 10th, 1992. I think this is a way cool song. Very unique, different sounding. So awesome that he's just playing bass on it. There's no guitar on it. He's like, I'm just I like going to fucking play bass on it. It started out as a like just an acoustic kind of Nebraska rockabilly sounding song. Like You know, there's those couple of songs like Johnny 99 and uh, mm-hmm. Open All Night and uh, Big Payback where it's almost like acoustic rockabilly from that Nebraska era. And that's what the original version of this song sounds like. There's a performance he did in uh, the bridge, the bridge concert, right? The, not the not the bridge concert. It was in L.A. He did two shows in L.A. solo acoustic. In uh, what do I have the what the fuck? Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah, sorry, there wasn't the bridge, but I know the ones you're talking about. Uh, the ones where Jackson Brown comes out at the end and. Yeah, uh, yeah. So those were in like '91, uh, like November 15th and 16th. There's two nights, right? Reading the papers the other day, and I come across a Bob Dylan interview where a woman is asking him about this movie that he just put out. And it's funny because she says, "Bob, you know, this could be the worst movie, you know, rock and roll movie ever made." And Bob's very nonplussed. He says, "Yeah, it could be," you know. And then he says, "Well, he says, yeah, I was trying to. I, I asked the director what I should do, you know." And he said, just be yourself. And uh, he says, I was wondering which one. I knew just what he meant. So this song, this next song is the real me. (laughs) More about my actual life. Let me see. All right. Oh, there it is. All right. Just in case you were wondering. I bought a Hollywood house in the bourgeois hills With a dump truck, a hundred thousand dollar bills Man came by to hook up my cable TV Settled in for the night, my baby and me We switched around and round until I had passed on But there were 57 channels, man, and nothing on Well, now home entertainment was my baby's wish So I hopped into town for a satellite dish Tied it to the roof of my Japanese car Came home and I pointed it out into the stars Well, a message came back from the great beyond Said there's 57 channels, son, and nothing on We kept spinning and wishing all night Till the morning with our eyes gone fishing We sat on that couch until it just about dawn Fed to seven channels, man, and nothing on Well, we might 
some billionaires We might have got all hot and horny If we'd have made it upstairs All I got was a note That said goodbye John I love his 57 channels And nothing on So I went down to the pawn shop Next to the Pussycat Theater On Santa Monica I bought a 44 Magnum with solid steel cast And the blessed name of Elvis, well I let it blast Till my TV was in pieces there at my feet And they busted me for disturbing the almighty peace Judge said, what you got in your defense, son? I shouted, 57 channels, Judge, there's 57 channels There's 57 channels and there's nothing on I keep switching My mind's twitching My finger trigger's itching Friend, I can see by your eyes Well, you're just about gone Your 57 channels and nothing on So you can see how it could have been one of those songs but he just totally yeah. stripped it down, just took the lyrics and kind of made it this, this kind of funky, funky groove. And he's like, I'm just going to mm-hmm. play bass on it kind of thing, right? I so, love the dry vocal delivery too. Very cool. Yeah, soft, very reserved singing kind of thing, right? Like a cool little guns, gunshot sound effect where he does that. Uh, in the blessed name of Elvis, I let it blast and he shoots the TV out, right? Right, so right. Elvis used to right. shoot when TVs out. Shoot when, uh, TV, yeah. When, uh, like Robert Goulet would come on the TV, Elvis would take out his revolver and get rid of that tv right but uh you know some, oh that's hilarious yeah <laughs> some dark humor contrasting uh kind of on-demand entertainment while feeling alone and bored mm-hmm. there's a there's a cool version by um that came out on a 12 inch i don't know if you heard that the 12 inch for this has two remixes by uh miami steve van zandt a couple of remixes and he, he just kind of threw the kitchen sink at these things right put some beats behind it a lot of what turned into the live versions of this right with all the sound effects <laughs> Let him know, let him know, good idea. Let him know. The fires are lighting the skies up right now. We're in a night out of control. I want a kinder and gentler nation. Anchor burns in Los Angeles. Frederick of Hollywood is being looted. Today's younger people are learning a hard lesson. They are inheriting a damaged world. Just do what is right. 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 Just we switched round and round till half past dawn. There was 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. Doesn't help matters when primetime TV has Murphy Brown mocking the importance of fathers. Is the president out of his mind? American history says none of this will happen. Why do you have a way of champagne? Well, now, home entertainment was my baby's wish, so I. Hop to town for a satellite dish. 
tied it to the top of my Japanese car I came home and I pointed out into the stars The message came back from the great beyond Seven channels and nothing on Fifty-seven channels and nothing on Fifty-seven channels and nothing on Fifty-seven channels and nothing on Now, this is mine And of course, what do we start with every morning? Gossip, gossip, gossip I'm able to People didn't think he was morally upright enough to be president Coming up on Naked Mike, it's Green Acres Really matter Made some friends with some billionaires We might have got all nice and friendly If we made it upstairs All I got was a note said Bye-bye, John I love 57 channels and nothing on 57 channels and nothing on But the pictures you are about to see May not be appropriate for many viewers They are unavoidably extremely graphic Prejudice hurts. Prejudice hurts. Prejudice hurts.
Prejudice hurts. Prejudice I like hurts. his keyboards. I love the songs like this where Bruce plays the keyboards and he just starts putting these kind of hazy chords over top, especially as it's fading. There's one or two of these chords that just kind of show up and set this cool, like, hazy L.A. hot sun sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I, I like that. Yeah. But but I love the sentiment of this song, right? Like, this guy's like, he's trying to please his girl, right? So he goes and gets her a satellite dish, right? And she still leaves him, right? He, he goes <laughs> right. and buys her, the, like, this top-of-the-line TV, and she still leaves him, right? So that's when she he shoots goes. the TV. Leaves him a note. Yeah, yeah, leaves him a note. So he's like, I'm f- shooting this fucking TV, right? <laughs> and uh, a yeah. uh, cool little side story on this song is uh, when the when the lockdown started there in, in uh, March of 2020, you know how everybody was doing these kind of like online videos and like uh, live performances. I was doing some of those. I remember. Right. So I was kind of, I was so bored and alone. Right. So I was doing like, uh, I remember I covered Splendid Isolation by Warren Zevon. And I'm like, I'm going to cover oh, this song. Good... And this song was kind of, uh, you know, the mood I was in at that moment really lend itself to this song. So I did a cool version <laughs> playing a bass and I uh, hooked up like my Casio keyboard and I got like this kind of uh, disco cool. drum beat going on it. And I uh, performed this song for the, uh, for my fans during lockdown. It was good times. <laughs> oh, very cool. I'll need to look that up. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's one of those songs that felt so overplayed at the time that you just felt like you'd never wanted to hear it again. But now now I dig it. When it when I listen to this record and it comes on, it, it's it's a cool song. Yeah. So, so next one, this is Cross My Heart, featuring uh-huh. uh, Springsteen on vocals, guitars, harmonica, Roy Bitten on keyboards, Randy and Jeff on bass and drums. First time I crossed my I was begging, baby, please take your bedside down on my knees when I crossed my heart. It's when I crossed my heart. I crossed my heart, pretty baby, over you. Second time I crossed my Cross my heart. Cool little vocal pickup on this one, right? Right in, right in on the ver- first verse. No intro. Yep. Possibly inspired by, uh, well, I guess no, definitely inspired by. Uh, Sonny Boy Williamson had this song called "I Cross My Heart," right? Bruce even gives him a writing credit on this song because he he, he takes one verse, like kind of verbatim. The verse about uh, the one about standing at his bedside, down on his knees, or something like that. That's that's directly from that Sonny Boy Williamson song. Oh, okay. Which was a that's chess, cool. 1957, right? And then the line, uh, first time I crossed my heart, that's like from the song as well. So cool that he gives him a writing credit there. The first time I crossed my heart, I was by your bedside on my knees. Yes, the first time I crossed my heart. I was by your bedside, down on my knees. Shut up, man. And I know the difference between I and you. I have to beg you, please, darling. 
Tempo groove, yeah. very sparse arrangement. Uh, you know, good groove by the bass and drums there. Uh, nice spacey, big piano chords by, by Roy on this one. Mm-hmm. I guess the lyrics, the guy's pledging true love, right? Being sure of yourself, knowing wrong from right, like uh, you know, doing the right thing and, and you know, holding true to your word, right? Good vocals by Bruce, but you know, mm-hmm. the drums are boring. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you know, the production really just—I don't get. It. Reading the lyrics first, like I told you, the way I was analyzing this record. I was yeah. like, yeah, that's a cool song. And then I put the track on, and I'm like, man, it's totally lost me here, right? Like, every time the sucky keyboards come in, it just loses me. I like that guitar riff, that... It's kind of like a... Yeah, and he doubles it kind of, yeah. ...bluesy lick. Like, that's cool. Yeah. But then, like, the fucking keyboards come in. Oh, it's just awful. Like, like just play organ or piano, for fuck's sakes, right? Like, any time you want to go and play a synth, just play an organ. Like, it'll be way better all the time, like... Like, oh God! You know what? Like in if those, you replace the keyboards with organs, yeah. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> in those years, I would say that every it's like every song you heard on the radio, you're like, God, couldn't they have used an actual organ or, yeah. Like the part's good. It's just the sounds not good, you know. Yeah, this song really feels unfinished to me. This feels like one of the ones he just left and they had to put together. I mean, there's this long kind of outro that where nothing happens, and then and then they just end, and. Uh, it's like you say, I, it, it, like the lyrics are, are cool. I love I love his uh, twangy telly sound on it. Vocal delivery is cool, but it's another like. And this is the fourth song, right? So this is kind of like where you want your you know your song back and clean up here. This is where you want to like seal the deal, you know, like yeah. Backstreets or you know Grand Western Slam, Stars. Yeah. yeah, and then it's like, and it's just sort of like, whoo, okay, like, you know, like I was I was thinking about how. Backstreets, you know, when it goes, that's the fourth song, right? I'm born to run. It goes into the solo and it's all like, you know, Wah! right? And this one, when he goes into the solo, it's like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> like, these are the differences between that guy and this guy. Well, he's a little bit of a restrained family man at this point, you know? Yeah. He's got to be home but, by six for dinner with the kids and stuff. Yeah, but a bit more work. And I think this song could have been. Super solid if they'd have shortened it and and yeah organic made the yeah. production just a little more organic you know I love I, even though the drum part's boring I just I love the sound of Picaro's drums on just about all these songs and uh but yeah it just doesn't go anywhere or do anything and it's it's a weird sort of one of the things you think would be like at the end of, towards the end of the album but it's 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 a it's a harbinger you know just just sitting there right near the top kind of an unfinished piece a little awkward you know next up we got the uh the same band the same four-piece band as the last song bruce roy randy and jeff this is gloria's eyes
I, I actually I like this song for a bit. You know, it's good good rocker, good good sort of like late '80s, early '90s Bruce type rocker. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think he's playing through like one of those little Rockman amps, like the little tiny ones. So tone's a little different. Than, That's the thing that uh, the, the guy from Boston did, right? Tom Scholz invented that amp. I think yeah. It's like a headphone kind of amp kind of thing, right? It's for recording. Yeah, yeah. like it's just a tiny, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. Lots I, of guitars I, all I, over this album, right? He's got like four or five guitar parts in almost all these songs. Right? Yeah. And it's one of those songs that doesn't, doesn't reinvent the wheel, doesn't break any ground. But you know, he's such a great singer. He's singing in a cool range in his in his voice, and uh, and uh, I mean that's the thing with an artist that's that's as good as him. Where you know, if you like the way he sings and you like the way he plays guitar and you like his lyrics, you know, there's always going to be generally something in it for you, unless it's a like serious serious misstep. But I I think it's 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 a good song. But he's got you know tons of songs like this that are better but it's uh it's cool it comes on i dig it i'm in the car i like it yeah kicking it off with that snare shot and then uh, right into the groove and the guitar lick uh cool mix i like the riff a, yeah the some, riff it's like a no, mix the riff of sounds clean like clean and distorted guitars yeah and the and the riff uh, reminds me of uh the thin lizzie song chinatown so i sort of dig that about yeah. it too yeah he uh, gets wailing it as a wailing outro song this uh, mm-hmm. You know, sparse keys by Roy. And the lyric stuff on this is kind of about uh, love gone wrong and you can't get it back, right? She got wise and left him, and now she returns to him, but uh, it's not the same, right? It's something's gone in Gloria's eyes. Right, right. right. And he's talking about how do you rebuild yes. after you've done something wrong, right? How do you get that back? How do you make that connection after you've betrayed trust? Right. But Yeah, it's all right. I like the uh, that half verse at the end of it where he kind of drops off, and it's like a, it's like a half verse to end the song. It's like, I was your big man, your Prince Charming, king on a white horse. Now look how far I've fallen. That just ends with this kind oh, of... Oh, that's like, right. Yeah, and then that's horse. it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I love that there's one line in the third verse, right? Yeah. Bruce has always got a lot of these sexual innuendos, right? He's like, there's that one line where it's like, someday my love again will rise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. I, I felt like, like I said, I feel like some of these songs, like... I don't know where he was pulling it from. It's a weird. You sort of, you sort of, up to here, you always sort of got a sense of where, where these songs were coming from in him. And here, it, it, a lot of these songs, it feels like they're coming from the fact that his his job as a songwriter and a and a recording artist who's played on the radio, and he he needs to write songs that sort of sound like him and and uh, could maybe go on the radio, which is not a bad thing because he's really good at that kind of thing. Um, but you know, uh, I, I don't always, I don't always, I don't always, I don't always feel like, like a song like this. You could see him writing this for someone else to to do. You know what I mean? It, it's sort of they don't always seem like songs that. You know, there's probably would, nothing personal in the song, kind of thing, right? Well, maybe there is. I guess I think there's something personal in every song, but this one is not yeah. as autobiographical as, you know, some of the other stuff in his on this record for sure. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have a cool one, a different band on this. We have Bruce on vocals and guitar, Rory on keyboards. We have uh, Mark Isham on muted trumpet, Douglas mm-hmm. Lunn on the fretless bass, and Kurt Wartman mm-hmm. on drums. This is With Every Wish. 
Oh, catfish in the lake, we call them Big Jim. When I was a kid, my only wish was to get my line in them. Skip church one Sunday, rode out and threw it in my line. Jim took that hook pole and me right over the side. Went drifting down past old tires and rusty cans of beer. The angel of the lake whispered in my ear Before you choose your wish, son, you better think first With every wish, there comes a curse I love this one a lot. Different band, mm-hmm. like I said, uh, in the previous first five songs. Got a little acoustic guitar arpeggio there. The fretless bass sounds nice. Muted trumpet. Mm-hmm. Uh, long solo here. Got uh, Kurt playing uh, brushes on that snare. 16th note kind of feel. Mm-hmm. All right, and I guess the lyrics on this one is kind of a cautionary tale. Talking about with every wish is a choice. Right, with consequences. Right, every time you say yes, you're saying no to something else. Right, and you have to accept mm-hmm. the both the good and the bad from those wishes and choices that you make. You know, it's kind of a fishing fishing story too, right? <laughs> Which is cool. So the first <laughs> verse, this guy's out in a boat and he's uh, trying to catch this uh, fish, right? And the catfish grabs his line and he pulls him into the lake. In the second verse, he's uh-huh. talking about how he's become overcome with jealousy every time these guys look at his girl, right? So he's, you know, there's a different scenario there. Third verse, mm-hmm. we have that third verse twist that always happens in a, in yep. a Springsteen song, right? The character in the song returns to the lake and, and this time he... Uh, jumps in the water and he's and he, there's that line where he's talking he was going to drink from waters to quench my thirst and this time but this time he's sure of his choices right he understands that he's making this choice now and like mm-hmm. i don't know if he's is he committing suicide here i, I don't know like that that may be a little too dark but uh, mm-hmm. but but this time he doesn't need to to listen to that lake angel that's telling him with every wish right and i love how the song ends with that with that line where he's talking where he sings with every wish and he doesn't sing Mm-hmm. We, there, comes there, there comes a curse. He doesn't, you know, sing that last part of that that song. He just leaves it hanging there because you know he doesn't need to listen to Lake Angel anymore, right? So I love that cool little literary device, device not finishing that last chorus, letting it hang, there, mm-hmm. letting the listener, um, you know, ponder the omission. Yeah, yeah. This is a good. This is a good one. Um, and um, I like. Uh, I I really like his sort of country singing voice. You know, and a song like this is very like bruised sounding and sort of atonal and it's cool the only thing i've sung about this song i really don't care for is the trumpet it just sort of seems like hey why don't we try trumpet on this one i mean it doesn't yeah, really fit for me across the river kind of vibe but i don't know if it fits with this kind of uh like it fits yeah. great with that one because it's got that kind of city dark city feel but uh yeah i don't, know, I don't hate it it's all right it's whatever it doesn't ruin the song but it could have been just a little more uh a little more space, a little more, I don't know, vulnerable maybe without it, but harmonica but it, or something maybe instead. Oh yeah, something like that, or, or, yeah, I don't know what, but the trumpet feels a little weird. But other than that, um, you know, it's it's a good it's it's good it's a good song. All right, so the next song um, is the last song on side B, and the last song in the first half of uh, Human Touch. 
Mm-hmm. He's got uh, Bruce on vocals and guitar. We have Bobby King on backing vocals. Tim Pierce uh-huh. is back to add some extra guitar. Roy Bitten on keyboards. Randy and Jeff on bass and drums. Roll of the dice. Oh yeah, yeah. Good rocker. <laughs> this yeah. is the one that Roy. This is the one that Roy. Uh, yeah, he wrote first this. came to him yeah. with, right? So he's got a co-write on this one with Bruce. I guess he wrote the music, and it's got that piano part, right? Ding, 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 ding. It's totally East Street Band sound song. It's like Roy yeah. was in that band for like what fifteen years. He, how can he write anything else but those kind of East Street Band sounding piano parts, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you did your lyric homework. I'm, I'm coming up a little empty on some of the lyrics on this one, but um, musically wise, it, it's a good one. You know, it's like you say, E Street sounding, but you know, a little different. But I, I just, I like the way he sings it. I like when he really goes for those his higher registered uh, notes, like singing in his full voice, and um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a good. All these songs, like this album gets so maligned, but I mean, they're mostly good songs. You know, are they his best songs? I don't know, but they're really good songs. And this is another one. Yeah, this was a, a good one. It all falls short, though, with the production for me. It just has that, I don't know, it's too, yeah. it's too L.A. Well, yeah, you got to like. too L.A. It's yeah, not New you York like, enough, you know. <laughs> but the songs it's are one good. Of those al- it's, yeah, it's one of those things you got to sort of like just accept it on its own terms. It, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that's what, that's. That's what it sounds like, and so within those parameters, you know, and it's it's easier in hindsight because at the time it's like everything's starting to sound like this. And God, can it just fucking can something just be loud and raw and yeah. not produced? But you know, now you can look back at it in context in a certain way. But, this was a single in Japan only, November '92. Drum fill intro off the top. It's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and like we said, yeah, inspired by by Roy, uh, the first song Bruce recorded that he didn't write uh, entirely himself for an album, mm-hmm. right? Besides some of the covers like War and uh, Jersey Girl, but the first mm-hmm. kind of like first song on a Springsteen album that he didn't write entirely, which is pretty cool. Story in this song, I think, is about a gambler, obviously rolling the dice, and he's rolling the dice on happiness. He met this new girl. And he says that this new girl in Lady Luck is going to bring him the happiness that he needs. A very E Street <laughs> band sounding like we said, that piano part. I think there's even like a glockenspiel sound on there. It's probably a keyboard, but uh, it's got that, yeah. <laughs> that sound, right? There's a great live version of this that came from uh, MTV Plugged. Remember that concert? That came mm-hmm. Well, MTV Unplugged was the series, right? And, everybody and they doing, crossed out the un. Yeah. yeah, they crossed out the un. I think he opened the show with uh, Red-Headed Stranger. Not really Redheaded so. Woman. Yeah, yeah. Redheaded Woman. Not the cool. Willie Nelson song. I got Willie on the brain because he's turning 90 soon. But uh, yeah, Redheaded Woman, he does that acoustically. And then he says yeah. something like, ah, I got to bring the band out. And he plays the rest all electric, which is cool. Yeah. He's going to do that. And uh, I have that 
on. Uh, I actually have it on Laserdisc. A buddy of mine gave it to me on Laserdisc. Oh, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> the, ver- the version of Roll of the Dice is not on the uh, on the on the album or it's the CD. It just came out on the uh, Laserdisc only. <laughs> yeah, I think it's on the DVD. I don't even yeah. think it might not even be on the Laserdisc. It might be DVD only or something ridiculous like that. But you can check mm. it out on the YouTube's. It's a pretty cool, like ten minute version. He does like a long intro and there's a a breakdown part in there where he gets all like preacher like yeah not a bad song i love that line uh, i'm a thief in the house of love and i can't be trusted <laughs> yeah, good stuff
Just a roll away. 
for this episode that was the first half of the record david and i will be back next episode with part two of our human touch album review thanks for listening and we'll talk with you next time so that's the show folks thanks for listening you can find us on our website at trampslikeuspod.com communicate with us on facebook at our tramps like us podcast group page Tramps Like Us podcast is a nonprofit audio fanzine created by fans for fans and is available for free. We are not affiliated with Bruce Springsteen or Columbia Sony Records. If you've heard any music you like, please find it and purchase it from BruceSpringsteen.net, Amazon, your local record store, or wherever music is sold. As always, gratitude and respect to Bruce Springsteen and all past and current members of the heart stopping, pants dropping, hard rocking, Booty shaking, earthquaking, love making, Viagra taking, history making, 
testifying, death-defying, legendary E Street Band. I bought a bourgeois house in the Hollywood Hills with a truckload of hundred thousand dollar bills. Man came by to look up my cable TV. We settled in for the night, my baby and me. We switched round till half past dawn. There was 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. Now, home entertainment was my baby's wish, so I hopped into town for a satellite dish. Tied to the top of my Japanese car, came home and I pointed out to the stars. A message came back from the great beyond. 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. Well, we might have made some friends with billionaires. We might have got all nice and friendly if we made it upstairs. All I got was a note that said, bye-bye, John, our love's 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. So I bought a 44 Magnum, solid steel cast, and the blessed name of Elvis. Well, I let it blast till my TV lay in pieces there at my feet, and they busted me for disturbing the almighty peace. Judge said, what do you got in your defense, son? 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. I can see by your eyes, friend, you're just about gone. 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and